everybody. Welcome back to the second half of Next to Be With You, Me. Um, I'm your host, Litera Kelly, and this is a tag-along episode. This goes directly with episode three. This is the second half, so if you're just joining us, I suggest you go back and listen to that so that you are not sitting there going, what the fuck is this broad talking about? Glad you're here. Stick around. Just stick around. All right, so baby's born. Um, He's everyone's boy. Shortly after he's born, baby daddy and I... um, are still not allowed to live with each other at this time, curiously. Uh, we are, we're creating this family, and we're playing house now with a live, living human being named Logan, uh, who is our child together. I am 16, he is 17, um, and we're playing house, but we are not allowed to live together. We're barely allowed to spend the nights with each other because now I'm not pregnant anymore. Um, there's a big risk I could become pregnant again, and <laughs> everybody wants to make sure that that doesn't happen, so we're not allowed uh, sleepovers. Uh, being the defiant person that I was born to be and also selfish twat of a 15-year-old, I told my mom, fuck you, I'll move out, and that's what I did. So baby daddy and I packed up one night while my mom was at work because while I was a selfish little uh, twat, I also had no balls and was not going to do that confrontation with my mom there because I figured she'd call the police on me and stuff. Um because she did that a lot when she felt like she couldn't rein me in. She used to use the cops to rein me in. But that didn't really pan out. I just got molested by a cop. That's another story for another time. That time had already passed by the time we're jumping into right now, which is the fall of 2004, right after my sweet, beautiful baby Logan first entered the world. And baby and I, uh, baby daddy and I packed up my belongings on a Friday night while my mom was at work. And we moved in with the permission and blessing of his parents to their home. For three months, we lived there, which was a very difficult dynamic for me at the time. Um, Remember, I had gone through this transformation over my pregnancy where I had gone from being this very loud, outwardly self-assured, although inwardly bleeding, teenage girl with all of these emotions that she couldn't quite understand and process. I went from being this drama seeker and drama co-creator to um, reducing myself down to basically being invisible in my community. Um, I lost all of my friends and my entire identity and had transformed it into the identity of a young mother and a soon-to-be wife. Um, Throughout that process, I completely lost my voice. And then I decided to move in with someone else's family uh, where they were seeing me objectively. They were seeing me for the behavior that I had exhibited. They were seeing me for the, the, the me that they lived with every day. And she was not always fun to be around. I am sure of that. But there was also some weird cattiness between uh, my baby daddy's mom and sister and I. And just I never really quite felt like I fit in with them. I was always... Um, just not the same type of girl as them. They were beautiful, blonde bombshell girls, and here I was, this tall, awkward. Um, I felt very gross-looking at the time, of course, because you know when you're 16 and you gain 60 pounds in a pregnancy and then you lose it, your skin just kind of shrivels up, and I was just really suffering from bad body image at that time, really toxically bad. Matter of fact, oh, God, that's interesting. Um, trigger warning, gonna talk about eating disorder just really briefly. I'd always been, um, 
very aware of my size. I've always been aware that I am taller. And like I said, always had a fat ass and thick thighs, big ass legs, tree trunk legs my whole life. Um, and I kind of played with eating disorders in my early teenage years. Um, I remember I watched a Lifetime video about bulimia once and I was like, you can do that? So shout out to the creators of that Lifetime movie who triggered me into a love affair with um, anorexia and bulimia. Didn't matter that she died at the end of the story, guys. She was skinny. That was all I cared about. So being in that environment with some of that energy with his mom and sister, I really started punishing myself on a more often or more frequent basis. I stopped eating. I would go days and days and days without eating. It was the one area of my life that I could control. And as many of us know, most eating disorders are related to um, ability to control more than they are self-image, but they work together in that weird way. I'm not a psychologist, so I can't explain the depths of that psychological uh, <laughs> domino effect, but that's how it played out for me. And I often just felt very insignificant um, and unwanted in that dynamic. Much of that a reflection coming back to me of how I felt about myself, but I was using these beautiful blonde women um, to, to tap into those feelings and blaming them for it. So it wasn't a real happy circumstance, although, uh, again, intentionally need to point out that there was so much familial support there. Uh, baby daddy's mom was only like 36 years old, so she was you know, young and had a lot of energy, and she helped me with Logan so much. Again, he was everybody's baby, um, and there were many nights where I was so exhausted. Uh, he was also colicky, um, that she would come in, and she would take him, and she would help me. So so much benefit in that time, um, having that extra support as a young mom, especially a young mom who struggled to regulate her emotions. Remember I mentioned I was so afraid of not being able to be emotionally consistent for my child. Um, I knew that that was always going to be a dynamic for me because I <laughs> have never been emotionally consistent. I hadn't been a day in my life by that point. Um, so she and the rest of the family were there to really cradle Logan through that, make sure that he was always properly taken care of. And it wasn't like I was like abandoning my job as a mother, quite the opposite, I'm sure, that I did a really good job at that time because I was very immersed in that role. Um, but I still never felt adequate. And having that support system was really meaningful to me, um, despite any of the weird energetic snafus. Um, our relationship was suffering. We were fighting constantly. And what we found ourselves fighting over oftentimes were things that were seated in my neediness, seated in that need for attention. And how does a person who's addicted to attention suddenly give that up? A person who has used external validation uh, to fabricate self-worth for so long, how does a person like that handle the transition of my partner is no longer just my partner. This boyfriend I fell in love with because he was so supportive and he was so there for me and he gave me everything I needed. Now his focus has shifted. His focus is on baby. His focus is on future growth. His focus is on a business. His focus is on a racing career. His focus was not on me. And every time I felt him uh, kind of slip out of my grasp, 
And every time I felt like my needs weren't being met, I just accused him of not caring enough about me. If we can hear that again, every time that he went to go handle his business, our business, things that needed to be handled in order to sustain a life, I would create this dramatic, God, circumstance, conversation, fight, whatever you call it, to reel him back into me, to get him back with me, filling my cup up, focus on me. It's a difficult thing to navigate at that age. I certainly wasn't aware of how I was using him to fabricate that self-worth. I certainly wasn't aware of how every fight um, was just me projecting my sad feelings onto him and him uh, projecting his frustrated feelings right back onto me. Uh, I blamed him for a lot. I was very critical of him. I um, emasculated him quite often. We were about the same height. I was tall, remember? Um, and he's kind of short. And so we would just nose to nose scream at each other like a couple of psychopaths. But I egged it all on. It all came from me. It's a pretty, well, he's not, I mean, he's a pretty, he was a pretty calm guy unless, you know, you were going to try to fuck with his family. Then he would get mad. Then he wouldn't be very calm. But he was n never just mean or abusive or verbally aggressive with me for no reason. That didn't happen. I just kept playing out um, that cycle, that program, that manipulative cycle over and over and over again. And as we're going through this process um, and I'm leaning into creating this family with him and what that means, remember, I'm the daughter of a single mother, the only daughter of a single mother. I've not lived with married parents. I don't know the first fucking thing about a marriage. Nothing. I know how to be a selfish twat. That's it. So as I'm trying to figure this out, we think it might be a good idea to go rekindle my relationship with my dad, who I haven't had any contact with in maybe a year or so, maybe a little more. I, I don't remember. Um, and baby daddy encourages me to introduce the baby to my dad and my stepmom and my little sister. And we go over there for dinner one night. We invite um, his parents, which was like, side note, the ultimate betrayal to my mom because my mom and dad had a very tumultuous relationship at that time. So for me to move out of her house, say fuck you, and go live with my baby daddy's family, and then pull my dad into the mix was pretty, ugh, pretty not nice. Um, so I opened that wound back up in the process. I, I got face to face with my father, who I had pined for for the first 12 years of my life, met in person, promptly disappointed, and been rejected by so I just like ripped the scab off of that and stepped right back into the danger zone with my, with my new family, with my to-be husband and my little baby. This is coming off of my dad telling me at 13 when I was being a promiscuous, selfish little twat that I was going to end up a teen mom. And I bucked that hard. I was like, fuck you. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I have to, you know, take a humble pie to the fucking face and walk up to my dad's door with this new baby and try to mend this relationship because I'm trying to identify with a sense of family. I'm not healed. I haven't dealt with it. I've only continued to externalize validation so that I could continue to 
just stay fueled for every day. Just stay alive, essentially, is what I was doing. Um, but I haven't healed any of those wounds. My dad and I had had no conversations. There was no healing, just walking in raw. And for a while, it went okay. You know, I know my dad had to likely get over his feelings about how I trashed my future. And I know that he had some opinions about the family that I had shacked up with. And I know that it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all acceptance on his side either. Um, and that he was dealing with his own guilt and disappointment and all, how that was all wrapped up. But um, it went okay for a little bit. We maintained a relationship for a little while at the behest of baby daddy and baby daddy's family, because to them, that was normal. Nuclear family, clan mentality. We stick together. What is divorce? Never heard of such a fucking thing. We stick it out. Baby daddy's parents got married when they were 17 and 18 after a teen pregnancy. So we had, we had a prophecy to fit. We had a generational, uh, cycle to complete. That's what I was. That's the role I was playing for baby daddy was I was his mom and he was his dad and we were doing it all over again. And it was going to be a romantic, perfect love story of how we built this family together. I didn't buy into all of that, not, a, not consciously, not, a, not in awareness. Um, but again, out of security, was like, okay, we can do this. So he's encouraging me to mend this relationship. And over the next year or so, you know, I have to do some big girl stuff. I get my driver's license. I get a car. I get a job. Um, baby daddy gets a, a real job, quote unquote, outside of his own garage, um, he goes and works for a factory. I go and work at a sandwich shop and we end up moving into our own house. Um, the two of us, I remember how excited I was to move into my first home. We rented a little house just a block away from my grandparents. And I was like, I'm a real grown up. I was 17 years old. Uh, it was about that time I started working in healthcare as a CNA, it was the highest paying job back then. And they would train you to do it. They would pay you to train. They would pay you to train, train you to do it, and pay you nine bucks an hour. Minimum wage back then was six bucks an hour. So I was bowling, and he was bowling. And from the outside looking in, we were doing great as teen parents. Um, there were a lot of enjoyable times there, but mostly when we weren't together. Mostly when we were working opposite shifts, mostly when we weren't spending a lot of time together. I remember moving into our house and just being so excited to have this little family. And more often than not, he would leave our house, leaving me and Logan at home, and go spend time with his family at their house. And I, you know, he would invite me. It's not like he was like, fuck you, I'm going to hang with my family. <laughs> he was like, you want to go over to my, you know, you want to go over to the shop? You want to go over to the, and I'd be like, no, can you just hang out with me? Why do we have to go over there? Because of course, again, remember, I had that wonky energy between his mom and sister and I, and that had really played out, I think, over the course of me living there in a not great way that didn't get better. I think if anything, it got worse and I ran from it rather than confront it. I just decided to run away from it. And, um, I resented him for for choosing his family over his family and I uh, I I interpreted that as abandonment I interpreted I interpreted that as I'm not good enough he just has to go to his mom so in our fights I would throw that at him in the terms of you're a mama's boy and um, you're weak and you know I was I know what I was I think what I was trying to do was encourage him to stand on his own two feet and be with me separate a little bit but I was just 
using gross tactics, toxic masculinity, bullshit stuff to make him feel bad about himself and then stay with me out of guilt and obligation. So um, a toxic dynamic began a brewing. And we cycled in and out of that for a while. And he, I mean, don't get me wrong, these fights were tit for tat. Like, we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with each other. Um, and at times, they got physical. Right around the time that we moved into our own home, my dad had really had enough of paying child support and was like, this is bullshit. Why do I have money coming out of my paycheck when my daughter is an adult and lives in her own house with her own new family? Uh, he didn't know, I don't think, that my mom gave me that money directly. Uh, and I used it to help sustain that family. Either way, dad was like, fuck this, went to court, had me emancipated, and stopped at my house one afternoon to let me know that it was all taken care of. And was like, sorry, you won't be getting that money anymore. And I'm like, oh. Okay, I guess. Um, and that felt like an abandonment again. Of course, later as an adult, duh, it makes sense, right? Why would you if you're, yeah. Um, but that was kind of the beginning of that end with my dad, that segment with my dad. Uh, as we moved into planning this wedding and all of that, my, my dad did offer to help with that. And I remember um, at some point coming blow for blow with my dad at his house. I don't remember what triggered it, but I know that we got into a screaming match. I think it was, he said something about my mom or my grandparents, and that was always a real triggery situation. My grandparents were kind of my rock and salt of the earth, and my dad hated them for a whole other reason, a whole nother story. Um, so he would like dog them sometimes, and I get real pissy about that. And finally, I think I'd had enough. I think that's what it was. It doesn't really matter. But we went blow for blow out in his driveway, and he just told me what a piece of shit I was, and he, um, you know, he just offloaded all of his anger on me. And my dad is uh, six foot five, three fifty at that time, a big man, and the physical interference of that kind of anger energy. Um, dropped me to my knees that day. And I, I remember just kneeling down in the driveway, just hyperventilating and, and experiencing um, active rejection and hateful words uh, from my father and, and just crumbling. I did not know how to heal that. I did not know that I could take that pain and turn it into something else. So what it turned into that and everything else that went before it, that and everything else that went before it, turned into a trauma response when I felt like I was being rejected or abandoned. It was fight mode with baby daddy. He wasn't tall. He wasn't large in stature. He was pretty evenly matched in size, so instead of Flying away from those altercations, I used them to fight. And I channeled all of that rage that was deep inside of me. And when he told me that I was a piece of shit, when he told me that I was the fucking worst thing that ever happened to him, I responded like I wanted to respond to my dad. And I got violent with him a couple of times.
there was a lot of shame around the way that I acted at that time. Even now, just walking through those moments in my mind, retelling the story, I feel really triggered by shame and by guilt. Um, and that's my load to carry. Those were my actions and my behaviors. The only way for me to heal that is for me to validate that version of me, validate her need to fight for herself when and where she felt she could. Forgive her for crossing those boundaries. Forgive her for losing control. And retrace those feelings and those huge, strong emotions back to their point of origin, which was a core wound of rejection and abandonment of, oh, I don't love you after all. You're not worthy of being loved. So when baby daddy was in my face screaming at me, I was screaming right back. It was fight only. There was no other option for me in that moment. I wish it would have gone differently. Maybe I don't. Maybe I needed to experience that. Maybe we needed to experience that. I don't know. But I became physically violent with him uh, progressively in the last four to five months of our relationship. And there's a whole other aspect of just feeling completely trapped. I remember I had friends at the time. Um, we had kind of developed a social life around motorcycles. He had gotten a street bike at that time, and you know, we were starting to do things like go on poker runs with his parents. And, like, I, I got drunk for the first time during that time. And, um, like, you know, we were, we were kind of – we were living an adult life, really. We were living like we were 25 and 26, but we were 17 and 18. Um, we went to a lot of bars, a lot of bars, and I drank underage at every single fucking one of them. If you're ever in Clinton and Preston, Iowa, uh, be sure to just go hit up all those country bars if you're under 21 because you can get away with it. Just kidding. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. It's terrible advice. I hope no one is actually going to take that advice. Don't take that advice. But that's what we did. And then we added the complication of um, alcoholism because... As soon as I started drinking, I mean, all of my life, uh, the reason my dad was absent was because he was a raging alcoholic. My parents were only married for 55 days, and that in and of itself is its own story. Um, but my, my mom chose not to allow my dad to have any interaction in my early years, and their reason was always alcohol. She told me forever, don't ever drink. You have a genetic predisposition toward alcoholism, and it is very destructive in your dad's line. So... By this time, uh, with baby daddy, and we're doing a little bit of partying, he wasn't a drinker, but I, once I got a taste of it, was like, hell yeah, I only used alcohol, only used alcohol in order to completely let go of any form of control over my emotions. So guess what happened? I was one of those blackout drunks, the kind that just would air everything from the deepest, darkest places of themselves and act a complete fool when I was drunk. So that contributed a lot to the, to the chaos of our relationship as it got closer and closer to the day we were supposed to get married. And, and we had a lot of friends at that time who we had kind of bonded with in the same way. We rode bikes together, right? Um, and I remember 
one of my close friends at the time asking me, like, you don't even want to get married. Like, you're not happy. Why are you still planning a wedding? And my actual response at that time was, because weddings are fun. They are fun. They're not fun when you're signing a life contract with someone that you don't want to do that with, but I wasn't willing to deal with that at all. So what was I doing? I was spending money. I was um, just detached from the reality that I was walking into because if I stayed too attached to it, I, I just lost control. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was 17 years old and I didn't know what to do. So I just did things that made me feel good, like spend way too much time with my friends. Now, don't get me wrong. I had mom friends, so my friends were older than me. They had children also, so we were doing mom things. Make no mistake, I was still a dedicated mother at this time. Um, My whole life revolved around Logan, and fuck, I missed that time. (laughs) Uh, I knew that the story would get hard to tell at this point. So bear with me here because this is an extremely vulnerable plot point. Um, This is the time, if you thought the uh, death process and transformation process through pregnancy was profound for me, that uh, takes a back seat the way rear back, the third row seat, uh, to what's coming next. Um, Our wedding was uh, supposed to be October 14th, and um, we broke up on October 6th or 5th, somewhere in there, a couple days before Logan's second birthday. Um, Like I said, I was just making a bunch of rash, stupid-ass decisions at that point, and one thing Baby Daddy was really good at was controlling money. His parents had gone through a lot financially, and they had really instilled some good habits in him, so while I was on a fucking spending spree, just blowing money that I had gotten in loans to pay for this wedding... Um, The final straw was a dog. I bought a dog. (laughs) I remember one day I was like, I want a dog. So I went over to the pet store and I dropped like 600 bucks on this uh, puppy mill puppy. Um, And baby daddy was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Basically, Um, I thought the money that you just got was to finish the wedding and you know, here we had this wedding, we were steamrolling ahead, but I didn't even have my invites out. I didn't even have, you know, I had all the things to do the stuff I needed to do, but I would not do it. I would go buy a dog or go to the zoo or do something completely other than finish the things I need to finish in order for this wedding to happen. And um, he was like pretty pissed off. And I guess he had talked to his family about it and they really wanted to have a heart to heart with me. Um, which I knew would be like a punitive conversation where they just tell me how much I'm fucking shit up and I have no interest in that. So went to work that day and um, the same friend that had asked me, you know, why are you moving forward with this if it's not something you want, came to my work and said uh, her, her boyfriend was really close with my baby daddy. And she was like, did you know that they're getting ready to like ambush you with, a, with like an intervention? <laughs> and I was like, what? So uh, after work, I went to my mom's house, who by this time was uh, living with my stepdad. That developed, mm, Logan was like six months old. Um, So I had a stepdad by this point. And um, 
again, another story. I hope to have my mom on the show so she can tell the story. My stepdad was someone that my mom was with for 11 years, long before I ever came around, and then they reconnected when I was 16. So my stepdad is a New Englander. Um, he has a Maine attitude. He was a pipe layer, uh, was retired by that time. He was a fucking asshole. <laughs> he did not play. And he and I went rounds a few times, but uh, in this instance, I got to my mom's and he was like, yeah, what the fuck are they calling me for? Telling me we need to come over to your house so we can talk to you about how you bought this dog. I'm not doing that. And I'm like, well, good, because I'm not doing that. So I called baby daddy and I said, hey, guess what? I'm off work and I am not coming home. If, if I get to our house and I see that you've got all of your family there to come talk to me about what I'm doing wrong, I'm not coming. You can forget it. I'm done. I'll come back later and get my stuff and this is over. And, and uh, that was a threat that I made good on. I drove to my house. I saw all the cars in my driveway and um, I was like, that's it. I'm done. And so here's what that was. Once again, Kelly created a shit storm by avoiding the actual issue and acting out in a bunch of insane behaviors. I know it doesn't sound like buying a dog is a big deal. There's a lot more to it than that. I mean, I, I can't remember all of the gory details of the dumb bullshit that I used to do, but believe you me, there was plenty of it. And if you've ever dealt with me uh, extremely belligerent drunk, um, that one instance of that alone would be enough. <laughs> um, I, I, had, I had acted out in a number of ways up until that point and um, created a shit storm that he would respond to, that I could then respond to with rejection. Oh, fuck you, you're not going to control me. The only reason he's trying to control anything was because I was so out of control. You see how I did that? I manifested a reason to leave instead of using the reason that already existed, which was that just wasn't the path that I wanted. I had to have a bad guy. There had to be a bad guy. I didn't want to be the bad guy. So I used that situation that, oh, your family's not going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to live in this clan family. This isn't how we do things. Fuck you. Mind your own business. It had to be that for me to say, fuck you guys. Right? And that's what it was. That's what it was. That's how it ended. Now, of course, there was a period of time where we, um, I panicked a little bit after that and was like, oh, shit, what the fuck have I done? I just gave up the only person who gives a fuck about me. This is the only person who loves me. This is the only person who loves me. This is the only person who loves me. And I just sent him packing. And now what am I going to do? Because now I'm not secure. So for, for a little while, I... It played with the idea of like, maybe I can get him to, and he offered me the world. He offered, this is so fucked up to relive. He came to my house. I, I got the flu like within a few days of us breaking up, which read into that as you will. All my woo friends probably have some thoughts on that, but the energy moving through my body made me extremely ill. And I had a high fever, couldn't get out of bed, was vomiting, that kind of thing. Like it was a real flu flu. And um, I was staying at my mom's in her basement apartment, and um, he was at my bedside one day. Like, I didn't ask him to come over. I don't know if he just showed up or what, but I woke up sick, and he was there, and he took care of me. He took care of me until I felt a little better. And I, I remember I kept saying to him, like, stop. Like, don't, just don't do this, you know. 
I, I am sure that there was a big part of me wanted to suffer and wanted to be punished for what a fucking shit show I just created. Um, but of course I wasn't going to turn down that type of attention. That was exactly what I felt like I needed. I, I don't know. Um, he took care of me that day and he begged me. He said, we can go, we can move wherever you want to move. We don't have to be close to my family. I don't care anything. I just want to keep you and Logan and I want to keep my family. And I knew, like, I wanted to hear that the whole time because details I left out in this incredibly long saga were that his grandparents owned some land, his parents had built a home on that land, he wanted us to build a home on that land. I wanted nothing to do with that. I wanted to leave the tiny town we were from. That's all I ever wanted was to leave the tiny town that we were from. And he was trying to root in there. And I was like, no, 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 no. This will not be the nucleus that I existed for the rest of forever. It can't be. But I didn't have language to express that. And I didn't have, I didn't feel the right to even express that. I mean, fuck, these people had done so much for me. So much for me. How could I walk away from that? How could I be the asshole who's like, sorry, not good enough. I'm out for more. So instead, I would create this whole entire thing to get to that point, right? Um, so I knew in the moment when he offered that, that there was absolutely no way he could make good on a promise like that. And furthermore, that, that a promise like that as a contingency to a working relationship was always going to be a fail. If you're willing, if you're, if you're suggesting that you're going to give up everything you've ever cared about for me and expect me to think even for a half a second that that's going to fix us, nah. And I turned him down and we agreed that day to do the best we could for Logan. And we promised each other that we would work together. We promised each other that we wouldn't be nasty. And we promised, we promised each other that, that we would do a good job as parents. Um, and for a while I thought that's what it was going to be. <sighs> I was wrong <laughs> and the chickens were about to come home to roost, uh, in a way that would, uh, fucking break me completely. Um, probably six weeks later, we had kind of developed a rhythm. I worked day shift, he worked second shift. So during the day, Logan was with him and during the night, Logan was with me. And we did like an every other weekend thing or something at that time in tandem with this daily routine. So I went to pick him up one day, went to pick Logan up from his dad's house. And um, they would not let me have him back. Uh, they barricaded the house and I called the police and I called my stepdad and um, I stood out there stomping and screaming and freaking the fuck out for probably a couple of hours. And I did not get him out of the house that day. I saw him in the upstairs window uh, looking out at me and saying my name, uh, but they wouldn't let me have him. So he's two uh, in a couple of months at that time. And I am now 18. I turn, yep, I'm 18 now. Um, see, in the between time, I met a guy and um, just went to go activate right into that same cycle that I was used to, get the attention, get the attention, get the attention, feel validated. I'd had sex with a new guy, and that was a new thing. Um, and I was starting to form a relationship with this guy, and baby daddy found out about it. And 
Um, the guy had a reputation that I was not aware of. I met him through a friend uh, whose boyfriend worked with him, and he was 11 years my senior. We will talk more about him on the next episode. Um, <laughs> you lucky ducks. Uh, but when Baby Daddy found out about that, he, um, he had, some, had heard some pretty wild things from the sounds of it and uh, things I was not aware of. Um, nor did I ever participate in, just to be very, very clear, because this, again, this is still a story that is living and breathing, and um, yeah, so uh, he took that opportunity to take me to court for full custody of our child, and it was Thanksgiving time, so we were already working with attorneys to try and establish a parentage order and a custody agreement, um, and it was going okay up until I decided to start dating. And along with dating, I was partying. When Logan was with his dad, I was going with my friends, and I was getting smashed off and doing stupid shit. Not that stupid, just going to the bar, getting faded, and waking up late the next day for work, that kind of stupid shit. But I wasn't doing drugs. I, I wasn't at any raves. I wasn't having wild orgies. I wasn't, um, the, the extent of it was just like experiencing partying for the first time in my life. And that was not something that baby daddy did. So, um, it was instantly like a, you know, a check against me, a pretty normal part of, of development for a lot of people. Um, but not allowed for me. And I was a mom. So, you can sit wherever you want with that. I, um, I was taking up too much time for friends and for partying and for trying to establish this social identity again. Because um, remember, I didn't have one for three years. I was just a mom and a wife, and all of my friends were his friends, and all of my family were his family, and I was just his wife and just Logan's mom, which was fine. I, it was good. I loved being Logan's mom, but I still missed having my own identity in the world and having my own social sphere. And I was going out to try and find that and build that from a very broken perspective, completely unhealed, attracting only the worst people, only the worst people, the people who like to commiserate. I couldn't see that at the time. I just could experience the fun. And that's what I did. And so throughout this custody battle, I made one bad choice after the other. I um, lost my job. Well, I quit my job with, you know, I ghosted my job. I um, got drunk, woke up late, didn't go to work, didn't call him, was way too ashamed and embarrassed and paralyzed by guilt uh, to do anything about it. And that sounds like a cop out, maybe if, um, if you don't take it any deeper than face value. But it was just cause and effect. Um, and the guy I started dating did start to turn into some of the versions that I had heard baby daddy refer to in the beginning when he first flipped out about this relationship. I kept telling myself at that time that I had two lives. When I was with Logan, I was Logan's mom. I didn't intermingle Logan with that boyfriend. I knew that I could not do that. My lawyer kept telling me, you can't even have a boyfriend right now. And I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. I'm 18. I wasn't married. Why can't I have a boyfriend? Because if you have a boyfriend, then your son is less important than that. And that's how it looks. 
And I was like, fuck you. That is, that's preposterous, preposterous, preposterous. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. So I said it three times for you. I was like, that's fucked up. That doesn't make any sense. How could I not have a boyfriend? It was very much like Janelle on Teen Mom, except for just, I didn't do drugs. I didn't do drugs. And, um, I, you know, I was like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. So I compartmentalized my life and I spent time with my boyfriend when my son was with his dad. And sometimes I cut into my son's time to go spend time with my boyfriend, but I likened it to getting a babysitter. Normal people get babysitters to go do things. All these motherfuckers at the bar have kids. How come they can do it, but I can't? Well, because you're in a custody battle. You're fighting for your right to be a mother. And there was a lot of shit thrown around at that time. And there were a lot of lies. There were a lot of fabricated stories that came from the drama-seeking friends that I had at that time in my life that just were simply not true. But they were all entered in to the court record <laughs> offenses by a lost, wary teenage mom who was not very good at being a mom. And the more those accusations came forward, I, I started off vehemently fighting them and then felt like I, my lawyer wasn't, he didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. He believed everything that they said about me. And I didn't give him a lot of reason to believe me. <laughs> I kept going out. I kept dating the guy. Um, but the details, they just, they weren't. So I kept thinking, well, the truth is going to prevail. My mom taught me the truth is always going to come out on top the truth will always win. So I kept telling my mom, because my mom, oh my God, that's a whole nother dynamic at that time. She was so pissed at me. So pissed at me. My stepdad, so pissed at me. Um, fucking up everywhere I went. Fucking up at work. Fucking up his mom. Fucking up um, in this fuck, fucked up ass new relationship that I'm half ass in with this guy. I'll save that. Um, fucking up with my friends. Just never doing the right thing for anyone, least of all me. And I spiraled hard. I spiraled really, really hard. And I detached more and more and more as the months went by. And as I detached from the identity that I had formed over the last couple of years, the identity of a mother, a wholesome mother, a wife, I refused myself any right to a funeral for her. I refused myself any right um, to grieve and instead just manifested her murder, <laughs> her violent murder. She was completely slayed in the court process. There were a lot of lies floating around at that time that came from various places and instead of finding ways to transmute my pain into strength, I sat in the pain and I, I took on the character that was being created around me. But remember, I fucking hated myself. I was aware of how I was floundering. I was aware of my spiral. I hated myself for failing. I failed. I had created this entire identity, I had created this entire life, and I couldn't stick it out. I failed. I wasn't going to be a good mom after all. I wasn't going to be a wife after all. Somehow, in between 
caring enough about my own desires and manifesting them, I cast my own self as the villain and I watched that get reflected back to me by everyone I knew and everyone I loved. And I saved my sanity for the moments I had with my son and I promise you there were some I didn't have any. There were definitely days of absent parenting and depression. There were definitely times I didn't give my son enough of me and I cannot go back and change that now. So I bring this story to you to outline not only what I learned in the process and what I missed in the process and give somebody else who might have gone through a similar process some fucking hope that it gets better and that you won't always be the bad guy and that you don't always have to be a failure. You're only a failure as long as you identify yourself as such. But I wouldn't see that then. It would take a number of years for me to realize that. The court situation played out, um, it just kind of slowly decrescendoed down to a whisper. I fought for as long as I could, but I didn't change my habits. I just kept going through the same cycles and playing out the same patterns and living that sort of half-assed double life. Um, it was a double life until I melded into the villain completely, which I had by the end. Um, April 2005 rolls around, no, sorry, 2007, yikes, rolls around. And by this point, I am tired of lawyers and I'm tired of going into those offices and having to fight and I was had no motivation to rectify the the things that they wanted me to rectify by the way in those three years that I was busy building an identity as a mom and a wife I did not go to school I never went back to school um so I was 18 with no high school diploma and no identity and no future and I lost uh, the one thing I gave up, really, after all of that, the one thing that uh, inspired me to, to take on that identity in the first place. Um, I got really tired, and I will never forget the day I called baby daddy and said, you know what? You win. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I have nothing left to fight with. Um, you can have sole custody as long as you promise me that we can have joint sort of physical custody that I get to see Logan half the time or at least some of the time. And as soon as I hung up the phone, he called his lawyer. We made it happen. I signed the paperwork. And um, this next part, these next... Uh, the next episode is going to be a really painful one. Um, the next period of my life was just walking dead. Uh, it was just uh, punishing myself every day, um, every minute of every day for failing 
my child. And while I can sit today, uh, 13 years later, and know that I forgive myself for that, and know that I was just a girl who didn't have tools or language, um, it's still a pretty heavy thing to go back and visit. The purpose of this episode was not just to bear my soul to you. It was one part that, which I feel like mission accomplished. <laughs> um, it was to start to show the valleys of my life that death crept into. And there was so much I learned from the age of 15 to 19. There was so much I learned in this love paradigm with my baby daddy. I went from 15-year-old selfish twat to 19-year-old selfish twat, but less selfish, more just broken and lost. And there are so many moments across the story that I've just shared where I could have instantly opened my eyes to what was really going on. I could have instantly opened my eyes to healing. I could have instantly opened my eyes to there is a, a future, um, there is a way. If I'd have known anything about how to access that way or how to access myself, because all of this was a series of me creating identities based on external circumstances that I whipped up with my own need for external validation. I would create the formula for the creation of these people that I was, and then not knowing how to pivot them into what I actually desired, just completely destroy them. If you find yourself destroying yourself in your stories, I hope that hearing mine gives you just enough indication that you don't have to. You don't have to kill yourself out of your own stories to be reborn. You just start smaller. You just really seek your identity. And I would invite anyone who has experienced any kind of significant trauma, anybody who's experienced uh, being cast out of a community, um, having to reshape your identity because of a result of you know, your own actions. And I would encourage anyone who's walked a similar path of just destruction and resurrection and destruction and resurrection to really focus in on why you kill your character off and go there. Instead of pouring your energy into creating a new character, before you do that, take the time to really dissect the one you just killed. Understand what killed him or her. Go in and heal those things. I would not be able to discuss this story. I wouldn't be able to immerse myself in this timeline to be able to retell it to anyone if I hadn't done that work. If I hadn't gone back to the 15-year-old, dramatic, needy, nonsensical, emotional basket case of a person I was and loved her, I would absolutely not be able to bear my shame. A mother who failed and lost her child, if I hadn't already gone back 
and loved her and held her and offered her the peace in her experience that she so desperately needed then and the security in her own identity that she so desperately needed then but didn't know it. All of that had to take place before I could come here and share this with you. So I hope the story encourages healing because for me, it's a healing exercise just to walk through it again. I hope that if you're in pain, you find that healing too and that you offer yourself honor and forgiveness and love even at your absolute emptiest, your absolute worst. You deserve it. You're valuable. You have a future. You always have a future. The timelines are infinite. You can pick whatever you want, but you have to match what you want with the work. So coming off of this two-part, super long saga, um, I just want to thank you again if you've hung in there and you've listened to this entire story. I secretly want to say, please don't judge me, but come to a point in my life where I realize that I'm really not attached to your judgment anyway. So think whatever you want to think. Feel it however you want to feel it. That's yours, not mine. This has been so healing and helpful to me. So again, I just thank you for joining me in this uh, replay of um, a very pivotal time in my life. Thanks for listening to I Couldn't Not. If you like the pod and you want to make it your favorite, you can do that on many various platforms like Anchor and Breaker, um, or you can leave me a review on iTunes, which would be cool. Um, If you have a shitty review to leave, I ask that you just don't. Um, If this was way too much and too out there for you, man, that's fine. (laughs) Don't listen to it again. Because on the next episode, I'm going to immerse myself back into a timeline where I was the saddest sack of shit I think I may have ever been. Maybe second to saddest sack of shit I've ever been. Uh, So stick around for the next episode where we talk about the boyfriend. Maybe we'll just name it that. And also... A uh, little little um, reminder to anybody out there, the whole purpose of this podcast was to open this discussion up to others. Um, I am an intuitive reader, and my specialty is love templates. So if you have a series of patterns that you've identified in your life and you would like to look a little deeper at them and borrow my uh, processor here, we can do that anytime. Book a reading with me, um, at Litera Kelly on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, You can find me all over the interwebs. I would love to join you on your journey. All right, you guys, thanks again. Until next time.